Crosscast Minicast. Welcome, everybody. This is Minicast 2. I have Adam here with me. I'm here. And I am Philip. Adam called me and said, I have an idea for a minicast. And this one is called Not of This World. Well, it's the idea of not of this world. It's a brand. You hear it all the time in the world, but not of the world. But, you know, what is it? Well, the brand, exactly. The brand that he speaks of, maybe you've seen it before, N-O-T-W, in this ellipse-type logo. And you may see it all over the place. Maybe didn't even know what those letters stood for, but it means not of this world. And so this evening, Adam's going to be quarterbacking the the episode, the mini cast of some verses that point out or highlight how we as Christians are to not be of this world. I thought this was a really cool episode, especially since this touches into the church culture as we know it in America. We always reference this. So I think it's really good that we look at what the Bible has to say about some of these church lingo vocabulary um, things that are just kind of thrown around and take a look at it and see what this actually means. All right. So we're going to start off by just reading John 17 and verse 14. It says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. So here's the idea we're running with. We're running with this idea of there's a separation between what is the world and what is sanctified, that there's a division between the two. And yet at the same time, the sacred has to, to be among the secular. You have this blurring in a lot of Christian minds, I think, of what that means. It either becomes total isolationism of complete cut it all off, or it becomes everything is permissible, but not all things are beneficial. It just goes back and forth. Well, we see all throughout the scripture, God calls his people to be holy, which means set apart. There's a difference there. We're sanctified, we're redeemed, we're called to righteousness, we're called to be children of light, we're not to be of this world, we're in the world but not of it. And then we see some parables, the wheat and the tares. And we know that there's going to be proximity, there's going to be Christians living amongst the lost souls. We have lost souls within our family, within our friends, within coworkers, and all these other circles that we find ourselves And so what does this mean as believers? What do we do? How do we behave? How do we interact? And the Bible does have instruction for us in that very arena. Just as you say, we have these two extremes that tend to develop. You have the extreme, well, we can't interact with the world at all. Therefore, let's be isolationist. That's where you get into things like monasteries or monks or people just go away and they almost become like a cult. And then you have the other side where God's grace will cover everything. I'm going to be saved no matter what. And we don't want to remove ourselves from the world because we need to be relatable. We need to be into what they're into. So that way 
they feel comfortable around us. And it runs us to this extreme where you, now you can't even tell the difference between the lost soul and the born again soul. And I think that when Christ came down, he, he realized that the whole world was in need of a savior. There wasn't one righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. So once he fulfilled and completed the work on the cross and salvation was given to mankind, people become born again. And once people are born again, it's, and now what? Right. Because you don't die and go into the midst of heaven and the throne of God and be before him forever and ever. You become born again, and then it starts at that point. So now what? We are called to be separated. We are called to be a distinct people who are redeemed by God. So you and I used to do ministry together, and I used to be very legalistic, if I can say it that way. I used to be very letter of the law. I used to be very... If it's something that I'm not struggling with, if somebody else struggles with it, then they're not doing a good enough job. That's how I felt, you know, 10 years ago when I was young, I was college age and really just immature about it all. And so then when I left ministry at 25, 24, 25, I left ministry. I adopted a very different attitude. I adapted an attitude of I'm going to go out into the world and Everything that up to this time I've withheld myself from, for the most part, I didn't get crazy. I wasn't doing drugs and stuff, but just everything that I've said no to, I'm not going to say no to. I'm going to go out with people from work when they invite me out. I'm going to go out, you know, having nights that I'm out drinking with the guys. And I'm just going to live life like a normal person and put aside this ministry mindset that we've always kind of held of like, oh, we're doing ministry. So we're held to this higher standard. It's like I'm putting ministry aside for a little bit. So I'm going to go just quote unquote live. So previous to it, I had this very isolated mindset, this very, those are the things of the world. And those things need to just stay outside of the church, not come in the church. We don't need that here. If somebody can't control that stuff in their own life, then they need to go work on themselves. And then on the other side, when I came out I had a very much the other way, I was very like, you know what? Being in the world is not that bad. We still go to church. So, you know what, like we can relax on the rules a little bit. And so I've found myself in recent years as I mature, having to come to a realization of like, neither is correct yet. There's a spot in the middle that there's a middle ground, which is what Christ is talking about. Well, he doesn't want legalism. And at the same time, he doesn't want his believers, his children running around looking and operating just like the devil's kids. Right. And that's very important, you know, just kind of pinging off what you're saying about, you know, in ministry, I came through some death throes, if you will, of living in the world and going to college and God getting a hold of me. I learned very quickly what this world has to offer. Being fully in, involved and completely taken over by the glitter and the glam and the the social scenes and just all the things that, you know, the world, like the lure, you know what I mean? The, the lure yeah. that sucks you in and says, wow, you know, you need this and you can go far and you can be somebody and, you know, this definition of success and all these ways. And quickly I found that it was very decadent. It was very devoid of anything that was godly. It was very dark. I mean, that's the best way that I know how to explain it. And I'm not going to get into my testimony and what all happened, but, you know, I was involved in university level scene of, the education and the social scene and then the the radio industry and 
all these things. And so I was able to, to see what was out there for lack of better words. And, you know, you can't really operate and try to take part in what the world is doing and then please God. It just, it's not going to happen. Right. And so I immediately began to feel consequence of my own wickedness and God got a hold of me. So whenever I stepped into ministry, that's whenever I met Adam. Uh, well, I knew him way before then, but that's whenever we really started developing our relationship. A lot of that legalism came off of me because I was so militant and hostile towards wickedness. And I still am, to be honest with you. But I didn't want anything that looked wicked within the church. And I think that is a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. The part where it becomes an issue is if that is behavioral modification without a transformation of one's heart. And I'm not saying that's what I was a part of, but I'm just saying that's how that can quickly be interpreted and then adopted into somebody's life saying, okay, well, here's the rule book, the do's and do nots. As long as I follow these guidelines, then I'm in. And that's not what I was putting right. out, but it can be interpreted that way. And so I think that it's very important as Christians in the church that we do not look like the world. So I think there is some focus by Christians to make sure that we're not being complicit into welcoming wickedness in in order to relate or assimilate. And at the same time, we don't need to become legalistic where we're doing these acts in order to obtain righteousness because that's not how we obtain righteousness. Now we don't want to, it's this balance. It goes, I can go back and forth all day. We don't want to commit sin. We want to live righteously at the same time. That's not how we earn salvation. And I think this goes right hand in hand about how we are to live in this world. Right. And so just hanging with the legalism idea, how many times have you known somebody that inside of church, they play the act so well and they represent themselves so well and they, hold it all together so well with the smiles and the handshakes, but then you take them out of the church scene and put them outside of it. And it's normally with your friends that you see it the most where as soon as they're outside the church scene, it's, you know, anything goes, it's cool. It's whatever. And when you see that the legalism, legalism just kind of grabs at you. You're like, man, that's not right. Like that's not right because church you're doing this, but you're not doing it outside of this. So you got to fix that, man. Like you, you got to knock that stuff off and you got to get straight about this and you got, you know what I mean? It grabs hold of you. It's so easy to judge somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's very easy to identify shortcomings, sin, faults, flaws, and others. And we do care. That's why I think the passion and the emotion comes out whenever you spot this and you want to go get them by the shirt collar and, and let them know. But the Lord he sees all. So this is my piece as a pastor, as a minister. Whenever I look at others, it is very easy to identify their faults and flaws. You want to get a hold of them. But my piece is this. God sees all. He knows all. Therefore, nobody's getting away with anything. And I always come back to that. We can look at it from a standpoint of Jesus Christ coming back to the planet and straightening out all those who are doing terrible, wicked things in our government these secret societies, these occults and Luciferian groups and so on and so forth, people committing the murders and the wars and the genocide, and nobody's getting away with anything, including your friends and including you. This is my piece in it. God has it all in the palm of his hands. Now, where I get 
passionate or I get elevated in trying to talk to somebody is that I don't want God's judgment. I don't want God's chastisement to be upon somebody, especially somebody that I care about. Right. So I'm really pleading with them. Look, stop playing church. Stop playing Christianity or stop playing Bible or whatever you want to call it. Stop trying to fake it. Okay. Quit it. Be transparent, be who you are, but you need to repent of sin. You need to pursue the Lord. You need to read the Bible, understand it and apply it. And this isn't like, so you feel better. This is a deal between you and God, and you're going to have to give an account for everything that you did. So the elevation of necessity, intensity, and things of that nature, it's there. And so it may come off judgmental. It may come off legalistic. You can ask probably anybody that was in my youth ministry. They were like, yeah, dude, Philip was pretty intense. He was he was a little bit much. And I, right. I'm sure that I provoked some kids to wrath. I mean, I'm not going to lie about it. It wasn't my intent. I mean, you could speak to that if you want. But my purpose, my my motive was to get people to repent of sin and not to upset God. Well, and one of the things God convicted me of, and again, in the later years when I come back matured and now I'm looking back at it all, God really convicted me of, hey, you know what? There is a handful of guys at what we called church too that I was so opposed to. I was so like, you know what, dude? I see what he's doing. I don't want him around here. I don't want him helping. He's out here on Friday night doing X, Y, and Z. Then he's in here Wednesday wanting to help. It's like, I don't want your help, man. I want you to go knock that stuff off. Such a loving minister. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I was a worship leader at the time, so I could get, I could get away with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but man, I was, I was so just aggressive about it and it wasn't, I know it always came off like some kind of hatred toward that person. And there are times I was like, you know what? I just don't like that guy. Because if you ask me like, why don't you like him? You know, like you don't have reasons. It's not that you don't like him. It's that you don't like what he's doing. You don't like that. You see this two faced ism to him. And you're so just caught up in the moment of, I don't like that. I don't like that two faced nature he has. I don't like that smile at me at church when we both know what you were doing Saturday night because you tagged yourself on Facebook like an idiot. <laughs> it's like nobody checks in on Facebook. What were you doing? Um, Man, like I would just get so enamored by it and so drawn in by it. Almost enjoy not liking someone in it. It was almost like a, like a personal righteousness. Like, ah, I don't deal with the things he's dealing with. Like I'm not doing those evil things elevate me, elevate me. And it's almost like a weird personalness that, I mean, like I said, God had to convict me later and say like, dude, even your best is filthy rags. Mm -hmm. Just like his worst is filthy rags. It's all rags, man. Whenever we do ministry, whenever you lead or raise a family, whenever you're at the job site or wherever you find yourself in the world, you're going to, you're going to have these decisions to make about how do you participate? How do you fit in? Uh, It's a bad word. I don't say fit in, but but how do you interact with and where do you draw the line? And I think that's the key. Again, I'm not going to unpack all the stuff that we did in ministry here, but the short of it is, is that there is a demand by God that we come to him and we need to hear what he's telling us and then we need to do it. And if he's saying abstain from the wickedness, then we need to abstain from the wickedness. And if we believe or think that we're not going to have any consequence or chastisement or discipline upon ourselves from God, then we deceive ourselves. And God will get to a point where he's just fed up. He's like, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm done with this individual. You know my word. You know what I desire. You willfully disobey me. And then you lie about it, the two-facedness. Then you pretend that, that you didn't get caught, like you got away with it. 
that actually insults the Lord even more at another level because now you're pretending that that you're better than God. Your right. stealth technology defeats God's radar capability, and that's ridiculous. There is this demand for us to come before the Lord, be completely transparent before the Lord, repent of sin, and not just, and Lord, forgive me of all my sins. You were specific enough to do them. You can be specific enough to name them before the Lord as you repent. Right. And then you know what? The Bible says, go and sin no more. <laughs> it's like, all right, see you back this same time tomorrow, right? With the same list of sins that you're re- right. repenting of. But you need to abstain from it, flee from temptation, and pursue righteousness. So this separation that God calls us to, uh, I wanted to read just a couple verses before the passage that you shared a moment ago. In verse 12, it says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So this tells us plainly that there's two different groups that exist. There's those that the Lord keeps and preserves in his name, and then there's those that follow the son of perdition. And I think it goes back to, again, and I'm relating this to what I came through. I went down a road that was evil for some time, you know, a couple years, whatever. Now, I do believe I was still saved in that moment, but I was greatly backslidden, if I can say it that way. But I saw what that road looked like. I saw the the lure, and I saw the outcome, you know, of the emptiness and the wickedness and just the depravity. And then I immediately went into ministry. God moved me into ministry coming right out of that. And then I looked at the students. So we're talking junior high through college age is typically the group that I was dealing with. And then I saw them starting to dabble in the very beginnings of what I was just delivered out of, dabbling in it playing in it, thinking that, oh, I can do this and get away with it. I can do this and be a Christian and yet enjoy the sin, enjoy the the lust of the flesh. And I can come to church and everything's fine. Everything's good with my parents. Everything's good in school. Everything's good at church. And I'm fine. No harm, no foul, right? right. And I'm just screaming, <laughs> stop it, repent of sin, flee temptation. And just with this fierceness, again, aggression, hostility against wickedness, because I know what the end result will be if they continue down that path. And that's where you saw that aggression of where I'm trying to come against it. And it can look like legalism, but it's not legalism. It's like, stop the wickedness, repent of it. And there needs to be that separation about how we're living. We can't get rid of sin out of the world, but we can go to the Lord and he can get rid of the sin out of our souls. And that's where we talk about doing the the real work. Okay, so I want to move to this scripture, and this is a weird scripture. So this is what I used to do as a legalistic person, is I would find a scripture like this, and man, I would ride this thing like a bike just all day. And if you were like, oh, what about this person? Well, let me tell you what the Bible says about it. And I would read something like this. So it's going to sound like I'm defending legalism at first, but then we're going to talk about it. So this is 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 9. He says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet 
I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or the extortioners or idolaters since then you would need to go out of this world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So I used to just, man, I would get on my horse and I would just ride on this thing. I'd be like, oh, it says right here, you know, if, if they can't control, you know, drunkard and sexually immoral, if they're around doing this stuff, like put them out of here. Like we don't need them. And the thing that I would mess up is I would completely omit grace. I would completely omit grace. I would jump on this judgmental attitude and I would just write it for all it was worth into just the jaws of death of like, they're doing wrong. We're going crusading. Yeah. And they don't <laughs> belong in our church. You know, I would, I would be that guy, Yeah, you know? And so if you take that all the way out to its furthest extent, you become the guy standing in a pulpit screaming up and down about the sins of the world. And nobody likes you anymore where you're making a public pulpit out of homosexuality is evil or LGBTQ, whatever. And I don't even know that's evil and jumping up and down and screaming. And it's like, yeah, it's evil. Biblically it's evil. Don't get me wrong, but you're omitting grace. The people still need to be loved and sought after because God still wants them. Although what they're doing is evil, but that should be handled second, not first. Well, and I think this man, first of all, let me just say that I love this topic. I love this discussion. And I think this is very powerful for the Christian to really take in, understand we're just cracking the lid on this whole topic. And I think everyone listening needs to really dig down into these things. You're speaking of pointing out the wickedness, right? That's wrong. That's sin. Sin kills. The wages of sin is death, eternity away from God, hell. That's fine. That's truth. There's no lie in that. The other side of the coin is to say, Jesus Christ came. He bore the wrath, the penalty, the death of your sins upon himself. Now go to him in repentance, and then you have the propitiation, the great exchange. Your wickedness, the judgment that it deserves, the wrath of God that it deserves, in exchange, he gives you God's righteousness that you do not deserve at all. Right. And so both need to be brought to the table. And we have these pulpits, a lot of times, only banner one of them. It's just all grace. It's just all grace. There's not even a mention of sin other than just to say that sin is no more or God died for all sins. And then you have this other one that it's just, it's almost, I'm going to say it's hate, but it's so hostile and all it is is pointing out the sin. And I think that's, that's half the truth from both sides. You need to put them both together if I can say it that way because we need to hear the full counsel of God's word. Right. So how can somebody know that they need to be saved if they don't know what they need to be saved from? And if you go to somebody and you tell them how bad they are, that they, they're, they're messed up, then they don't understand how to be saved. Like, I get it. I've blown it. And they just leave depressed versus, okay, that's how great of a God and how great of a Savior 
Now, going back to the scripture that you read, I look at it in an instruction about how we are to look at people within God's house, because at the very end there, basically, we know what the world is going to do. I mean, what else do we expect from the wicked but to do wickedness? I mean, really, what do we expect from the lost souls but to act and behave as if they're lost souls? But for the Christians, and here's where you begin to bring accountability inside the church, and this is very important. If you identify a believer, and I use that word very carefully, they're saying they're a believer, right? They're professing Christ. They're professing Christianity and Christ to be the Lord of their life. And there's no differentiation between them and the world. There needs to be a discussion with that individual. Right. Hey, dude, you know that you're going around proclaiming the name of Christ on your life and you're you're living just like the world. There's a problem with that. There needs to be some accountability, some correction or rebuke, whatever have you, whatever the Bible demands for whatever that scenario is, because we need to police, if you will, the church, especially the higher up that you come into the service of whatever position within the church. So that's number one. And if they do not have a contrite spirit, brokenness, humility, as these things are being brought to them about their sins, then that ought to send flags up immediately. If you're saying, Hey, look, pastor, I think you need to quit sleeping around on your wife. Right. I mean, that's kind of grotesque, but, but I mean, there needs to be very descriptive offenses. If I can say it this way, I mean, you don't want to be vague, right? They need to know what they're doing wrong. Like, Hey, here's where you're going wrong. Here's where you blew it. And this is to be done in private to, in order to restore them. The ultimate goal is, is to bring repentance in their life. Now, you're not going to save them, but you're going to go to them and try to hold them accountable because, look, the, we just read right here, God's going to judge the whole world. And I'm saying out to everybody, including myself, would you rather have a brother or sister in the Lord come to you and say, hey, man, you kind of messed that up. And then you have that opportunity to get with God and say, God, Lord, forgive me. I messed that up. And please help me to never do that again. And then you you get right. I would rather have that situation than it's just like, wait till God brings you to the judgment. Right. <laughs> and then that's it, right? So I think we need to look at these things and, and really take it to heart. Well, and that's what he means. I wanted to specify that. When it says um, one named a brother, he's saying one of us, like somebody who's a Christian, somebody who claims the name of Christ and is a brother Christian if one of these guys is messing up, that's what he's saying in right. that scripture. And man, that's why it makes being legalistic to those people so easy because you can find so many scriptures like that where you just, Oh, look here, look here. Paul says, get him out of here. It's like, yeah. If you threw out everybody who committed a sin, there'd be nobody left in the church. Exactly. There would be no church. So we know that people sin, we know that Christians sin, but it's those that are in habitual sin, those that are not in a contrite, repentive you know, spirit or, or mindset. They just, honestly, they're calloused, and they really have no conscience. They go to church, and then just like you said, they get out of church, and then they go right back into their sinful activity. And there's no remorse or guilt or conviction at all, and they just live in it, and that's dangerous. That's very dangerous. And God right. God will do I mean, we have scripture that talks about this with Pharaoh and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You may get to a point where an individual may not even hear from the Lord ever again until he's called to judgment. 
And so we don't want to have that within our church. We need to be mindful of what's going on in, in those around us, especially those in service around us. And that's what the Bible's saying when it says, so should we sin all the more that grace may abound, but oh, by no means. So it's not a situation of we sin so that because there's grace. Like, oh, there's just all the more grace. I sin and God looks good because he's got grace on me, right? That's the attitude of like, no, that's not it. But it's the idea that grace is there because you're going to mess up. Not from a lack of trying not to mess up, but that even when you're trying, you're still going to screw something up. So in the Christian walk, there is still that level of repentance. There's still that level of attempting to correct yourself, not out of what we were saying earlier about behavioral modification, not because everybody tells me to, but it's that need of like, okay, because I'm a Christian and because everything I do is for the name of Christ and because of the name of Christ and because of the greatness of Christ, there needs to be reformation inside of me and these things need to shift. I need to stray from these things and I need to adapt to these things and when you're in that zone and when you're working toward it, yeah, you're going to fall short. But if your attitude is like, ah, you know, I can do whatever I want and just, you know, who cares? That's dangerous. And as Christians, we should be repenting of sins every day. I have heard Christians say that there's no need for a Christian to repent of sins because we're saved. Right. Like what? No, that's not even biblical, man. I mean, we need to seek the Lord every day in prayer and the Bible says that his mercies are renewed each day. I mean, man, we we didn't quit sinning. Now, I'm not saying that because we ask for forgiveness that that puts Jesus back on the cross. He died once and for all, and that's it. And, and that's yay and amen. But in our walk, we need to come before right. our Lord, our God, a holy God, and recognize that we are still in our sinful bodies and that we need to ask for forgiveness and seek his righteousness every day. And then just as you say, abstain from wickedness, flee temptation, pursue righteousness, and to do everything we can to honor God. And going back to the Christian fellowship, and that's key, the Christian fellowship. The Bible says, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17 through 19, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first... What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And that's the key. Look, we don't want to mess around with this sin thing. The wrath, when it comes, you don't want to be anywhere near it. And God is coming back to judge this planet. God will bring fire and destroy the whole planet by fire. Why? Because of sin. Therefore, Christian, we do not want to be of this world. We do not want to be partaking in what they're doing because that's why the whole wrath of God is coming to begin with. So don't be caught up in it. We need to, we need to be redeemed and get away from that activity and that wickedness that's in the world that God hates. He hates wickedness. So let's not swim in it the thing that he hates well and going with that we just finished bible prophecy and we just talked about where it says in the beast system like if possible even the elect even the christians will be deceived 
So if you have no spiritual conscience, if you don't, if you're not sensitive to the spirit, deception's coming for you ultimately to your ruin. So then in John 15, starting in 18, it says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. So I want to shift gears a little bit and I want to start looking at the other direction. I want to start looking at people on the other side of like, you know what? Everything's good and everything's cool and everything's whatever. You know, I can smoke this and I can sleep with this person and I can drink this and it's all good. Grace for grace sake. And what he's saying here is if you look like the world, the world would love you, but the world hates you because you're not of them. You're of me. And so you have to ask yourself in that moment, if you're fitting into the world, then where are you standing with God? Because I had the moment that, because I was still dating and looking for a wife when I was out in the world, just having fun and being stupid. And when I started dating my wife for a list of very Christian reasons, I was still selecting girls that I went out with based on Christian morals. Cause I knew that's where I wanted to go with my family. All these other people that I'd been hanging out with, including lesbians and bisexuals. And they're like, Oh, what do you want that chick for? Oh, what are you going to do with her? Oh, blah. And I was like, you don't, you don't get it because the me, you know, is not the real me is kind of how I saw it. Because it's like, oh, the real me is that guy back there in church. And the me you know is just this guy out here playing world right now. I had so many friends. They embraced me. They pulled me in. I was one of them. And it wasn't until after I stopped hanging out with those people and tried to start just hanging out with church again, I realized I've changed. Like I have adapted and I've conformed to the world. Like the way I think about things, the way I talk about things, the jokes I make, everything had shifted and it was never the intent. Well, I mean, we can go so many different stories and applications here. I immediately think about Lot. Lot in, you know, we get the story about Sodom and Gomorrah and how it was all destroyed by God because of the wickedness in the eyes of God. And Lot didn't want to come out of that society. Lot didn't want to leave. He he pitched his tent in Sodom. And Abraham was like, hey, you've got to get out of here. This whole thing's going to come down. And he didn't want to go. He was reluctant. He was attached. He became accustomed to, he related with, and he was interacting and, and participating. You know, And so that's where we find ourselves is we're supposed to be Christians, but we're in this world. You can also look at it from a standpoint of spiritual warfare. 
if you're truly living for the Lord and you're glorifying God, then you're under spiritual attack. If you're not under spiritual attack, then that probably means you're not living for the Lord. Right. Because you're not a threat to the devil. You can look at it from a standpoint of proof and evidence. Is there enough Christian, I'm talking real Christian evidence, is there enough Christian evidence in your life to be convicted of being a Christian in the eyes of the world? Right. And so if they look at you and say, don't think that guy even knows Jesus, uh, you know, I don't think he's ever opened the Bible or darkened the door of a church, so probably not. Well, that there's a problem there. So there needs to be a purposeful living and outward expression of us being believers and glorifying the Lord before the world. And that is what we're called to do. You know, the Bible did not call us into some sort of Christian walk that is a secret or that is classified, if you will. Yes, our relationship with the Lord is a personal one. It's not a secret or a private one. Right. It's a personal relationship with him, and we live it outwardly. Right, and so that's kind of brings me around to this. I was thinking about it earlier. So last week, I think it was, I found a Christian podcast, and I sent it to you knowing that you were going to be like, dude, why did you even send this to me? Because what it is, and I don't want to name anything, but just it's two Christian guys having a podcast, but it's really disjointed and it's very um, scrambled, if you will. The train of thought seems to be like we just, not to say that we're always like perfectly on point, but it was like, here's what we're talking about. And then they would just kind of run in circles around that a little bit. And it was one of those things I was like, this is going to annoy Philip. I'm going to send it to him because I have that little, that little haha in myself sometimes. But in listening to their podcast, because I was like, I definitely want to give them a chance. I'm, you know, I'm not just like messing with Phil. Like, I'll listen to their podcast. The place that they ran into that I did not like was in the podcast. They just started right out and saying, like, yeah, we're sitting here drinking beer. And then they started cussing. And I was like, this is a Christian podcast. And you're talking about alcohol and cussing. And it's like, yeah, I mean, we can get into the Bible and we can defend alcohol for Christians. I mean, I can do that, too. I've, I've done that study. Yeah, you can defend drinking alcohol. There's a handful of small, simple rules if you want to apply them to stay on the biblical side. Cussing, it's like, yeah, but man, that goes into the outward appearance and like what you're representing when you're representing Christ. So now I'm left in this world of like, do you guys get it? Do you guys understand what it is to be out of this world? You know, not of it and set apart from it because it looks like you're trying to blend right into culture and every other podcast that's out there and like, you know, language is up for whatever. I can say anything. That's the thing that really gets me about the Christian organizations, churches, ministries, things with logos and slogans, things that collect, you know, money and tithes and offerings, and then they put it into some sort of organization and business and structure. Here's the problem. They pander to and they cater to and they morph into the latest fad, trend, what's popular, what looks cool, what sounds cool, what tastes cool, what feels cool. I mean, it becomes to a point, just like you said, where there's no distinction between us and them. And look, I'm not saying that we need to be different from them for the sake of being different for them. Oh, we got to have contrast. So that way we can look different. That's not it either. Here's the difference. You're born again. You profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Read his word and do what his word says, 
period, without compromise. Right. How about that as a novel idea? Now go out into the world and preach the gospel until the end of the age. How about that one? We don't need to adapt into, oh, hey, we can look like this secular group and we'll insert the Christian lyrics. Or we can look like this whatever popular TV show, but we'll inject the Christian point of view. Right. No, it's just do what God says. We could break this down all different ways. I mean, obviously, we're not against technology. We're using technology to put together a podcast. At the same time, we're not slave to technology to where we have to be on the latest trend, cutting edge thing. We look like we're pushing ourselves versus Jesus. Hey, it's masked. It's in the name of Jesus, you know. Right. You know, but it's really not. Whenever we look at what Jesus did, whenever he was here the first time, where he went off, where he was very angry, was in his father's house, where they were making his father's house a den of thieves, extortion, exploitation, control, social hierarchy, and all these things. And dude, he he just went off on them. And that's exactly what I feel that those are the world's tactics and the world's maneuvers. And we've adopted those into our quote unquote churches. And then, well, what's the difference between that church over there and this fortune 500 company over there? You know, there is no difference. The same structure, the same tactics, the same social hierarchy and the, and the, the penthouses and the CEOs and the, you know what I'm saying? It's like, there's no difference. And that's exactly what God said not to do. Right. I think one of the best examples of, again, in the world, but not of the world, because you can't get out of it. If you look in the 90s, DC Talk released an album called Jesus Freak. It's a Christian album. Jesus is in the name. It's one of the best albums in Christian music history. Yet when they went to record the album, they enlisted the producer from a Nine Inch Nails album. Because they're like, we want that quality sound. We want that good musical sound. Yet we're still going to do what we're doing. We're not bringing him in here to make us Nine Inch Nails. We're not looking to be the Christian Nine Inch Nails. But he did a great production job. And we're like, okay, here's what we got. And we want your, you know, like your spin on it. And so you're in the music industry. So you're working with somebody who's quality in the music industry. You're still in the world. You're working with what the world has, yet what you're doing isn't affected by the world. It's like, yeah, he did some musical stuff, but guess what? It was one of the best Christian albums ever put out with, I mean, every song, no song neglects to talk about Christ or some Christian issue. Nothing is just music for music's sake. No matter what that producer might have said, like, hey guys, can we lay off the Jesus for like just one track? You know, what if we do a track talking about, you know, fill in the blank? No, it's every track has a purpose and we're doing something specific, but we really want your, you know, like the quality that you bring to it. Yeah. I think we need to lay everything before the Lord and really get honest with ourselves and saying, is this what God called us to do? Is this something that God is into? Is this something that we should be doing? Is this something that gives God glory or is this giving ourselves glory? And what are we in it for? What are we pursuing here? Because honestly, not to say we've been lying the whole time, but 
the honest truth is that everything will be evaluated by God and everything that is impure will be burned, will be destroyed. And the only thing that is pure will remain. And so it's, I think, very healthy as a Christian to evaluate everything that you're doing while we're in this wicked world, while we're in this flesh body that succumbs to sin. It's so prudent for us to evaluate what we're doing. We're in this world, but we don't need to be of the world. And if there's no distinction between you and the world, then you have problems. What are you doing in ministry? What are you doing to honor God? When's the last time that you prayed and talked to the Lord? When's the last time that you read your Bible? When's the last time that you were purposeful in saying, you know what, I'm not going to participate in that because it's offensive to my God. So therefore I'm saying, no, I'm going to step away. When's the last time that you let a friend go and say, I can't associate with you anymore? Because I mean, we read it earlier, but that's really what it's talking about. We're not to have fellowship come into covenant with through, you know, big time business agreements through marriage and things of that nature, where we're getting yoked up with people where we are not of the kindred spirit. We're of the Holy Spirit. They're of the fallen wicked spirit. And then we wonder why we have problems, but we need to be separated and wholly dedicated to the Lord within our hearts, within our souls and our minds. And then as we go through this world, we're interacting with those around us, but we're not fellowshipping and linking up with and seeking their counsel and things of that nature. As Christian believers, we don't look at the lost for wisdom. We go to the word, we go to God for wisdom. And that's very key because this, you know, we call it secularism, but the, the world creeps into your family, your church, your business, and so on and so forth, your friends. And then before you know it, we're just kind of just kind of just all meshed in and we all look the same. It's all uniformity. And it's like, there's no difference. Like, hey, where'd the Christians go? I don't know. It all looks the same to me. That's bad. That's not good. That's bad. And that's one of the hardest things to really push off on a teenager. You and I both did youth ministry. How many times are you trying to deal with a teenager and explain to them this thing that you're so worried about, this so cultural Man, it doesn't matter in one, it doesn't matter in the long run of just life. Like you're not going to care about anything from high school once you graduate. But then two, it just doesn't matter in your relationship with Christ. And because it doesn't matter in your relationship in Christ, man, it just doesn't matter. But they get so enamored, they get so caught up in it and just wrapped up in it. And I think in high school you see the the groundwork for somebody who is obsessed with culture and doesn't know how to leave culture behind to separate themselves from Christ. And then through college, they really exercise hiding it. And then by the time they become an adult, it's just a way of life to be of the world and practice of the world. But then you just come to church on Sunday because it's what you've always done. And you don't know the difference between just going to church because it's what you've always done is what your mom expects of you or whatever and going to church to grow with Christ. Well, it becomes an addition to their current lifestyle. So this is who I am. This is what I like to do. These are my interests. They go to church. Hey, that Jesus thing, that's cool. I'm going to add that in with the rest of what I like to do. So it's Jesus and all this other stuff. And they don't ever allow Jesus to come in and do the spiritual surgery to get rid of the sin and the things that 
you're doing that he doesn't want you to do anymore. And hey, here's a novel thing. Maybe he wants to get rid of some things that may not be sin overtly, but it's sin covertly because it's keeping you from doing the things that he wants you to do right? for his glory. So I'm not saying that just because someone plays sports, it's a sin, but it becomes a sin if that gets in the way of what God's calling you to do. Absolutely. So we need to heed God's spirit, heed his leading, so that way we know what we're supposed to be doing for his glory, and that way we can be used by him, because that's why he built us. That's why he created us. And that's another funny thing is you never know what God's going to call you to do. You never do. Everybody, when you're in high school and you're in youth group, how many times do you have a student come up to you like, man, I want to teach a lesson. And they just get on fire for like, I want to teach a lesson because I was reading my Bible and I saw this one thing that just banged down at me and I want to teach that lesson. And you're like, okay, dude, you can teach Jeremiah 29, 11. It's cool. <laughs> um, or whatever it is. And you, you let them because, but then by the time they get to college, it's like, oh yeah, that fad's over. Or when they're in high school, like, oh man, like I, I want to leave worship. I want to play in the worship band with you guys. You see this, like this joy, this passion, this, this hunger for involvement in the church. And you get this idea in your head of like, well, that's going to be the future ministers. Like, you know, like that's where ministers come from is, you know, they get that passion and while they're in church as a kid and then they grow up and they chase after a, a ministry direction and, and a profession. So it's like, yeah, that's where they come from. So yeah, we got to nurture this, but then they graduate and they go off to college and while they're off at college, it just, the world comes in and kind of like what you were saying earlier, like they get a taste for all the lures that are out there and you know, they let one hook them or whatever it is. And then you're saying, well, like, Hey, what about that church saying like, Oh man, like that's been, I don't think about that anymore. Like that was high school. And you know, now I'm a, you know, I'm a day trader or just whatever it is that they got into. But you always have that situation of, with high school kids, they just, they get so pumped up either on cultural things or on church things. And you always try to like nourish the church things. Like anytime they're like, Oh man, I want to give a lesson. You're like, yeah, dude, like totally. We used, or you used to um, do devotional time. Like, Hey, come and do a devotion and then do a devotion in front of the group. And then, you know, just little stuff like that. And then on the other side, there's always that person that you're like, Hey, can you not text right now? This is church. Like, if you want to text, why did you come? And they don't know why they came. They came because this church, that's what they do. But at the same time, like that boy or that girl is texting them right now. And this is just what I got to do. This is my girlfriend. This is my blah, blah, blah. Or, or like, oh, my friend's around at this whatever right now. And I want to know what's going on with them, even though I'm at church right now. And so you see both sides of it. You see the really passionate kid and the kid who doesn't know how to separate from culture. Right. Yeah. And I think that we don't do a good enough job in the churches where well, we are the church, but in the church buildings where we congregate uh, weekly is that we do not spend the time to help these people of God. I don't, we're talking a lot about the youth, but it goes for the adults as well, but we don't spend enough time to instruct according to the Bible, how we disconnect, how we unplug from the world and we plug into God, not to be cliche here and, you know, have like some sort right. of little lingo. But what I'm saying is, is that we're so, connected and involved and entangled with the world and the whole culture and the society that we don't even know how to cut it loose. We don't even know how to die to oneself. I mean, the Bible says that he's called us to crucify the flesh. The crucifixion is a way of death. You want to follow me? Hey, pick up your cross, kill your own desires, your own selfish desires, then follow me. Right. Deny yourself and then come after me. 
And so it's hard to plug into the world at that point if we're dead, if we've killed ourselves, if we killed our desires and the flesh, the flesh, it can't respond to the sin, the temptation, because it's dead. The bottom line is, if you're pursuing God in every way that you know how through his word and prayer, then that should be an outward consequence, an outward result that the world can look upon you and identify you as a Christ follower. Right. I mean, that's kind of what we're getting at here. So then going with that, man, looking at Romans chapter 12, verse one, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So this is what we've been running toward all night. We've been running toward this idea of conformity to the world is not what we should be going for. There needs to be a separation. There needs to be the sacred and the secular. It's not that there needs to be. I'm sorry. There is. There is a separation. There is. You are of me, not of the world. There is. I chose you. I drew you out of. So there is a separation. You can't blur the lines and say like, oh, Jesus was speaking metaphorically, right? But at the same time, you hear this resounding calling and this reminding in the scriptures that, hey, you're still going to be in the world because you live there and you have a purpose there. If you didn't have a purpose, I would have just pulled you out. I would have separated you. You know, we read that earlier. Christ is praying to God and he says, I don't pray that you remove them from the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. In other words, shelter them, keep them safe and defend them. But at the same time, man, they got a job to do. And that's what he's saying here in verse one. He says, I beseech you, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It's crucify the flesh because in the Old Testament, when you present a sacrifice to God, you had to kill it. You had to bleed it out. In the same way, present your body, like present your flesh, a living sacrifice to God. You're sacrificing yourself to God on the altar saying, God, all this stuff that me wants, I'm going to crucify this in that moment. I know that's such a churchy term. I'm going to crucify myself in this moment. I'm going to take up my cross and follow you, but literally, and that is your spiritual act of worship. And to go along with that, it's not a behavioral modification. Right. It's if you fully allow the Lord to lord over you, then what you do will glorify God. I mean, that's kind of simple, and that's what it is. Therefore, the behavior will be modified by the leading of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit within you. It's not some sort of robotic choice of, okay, I can't do this, I will do that. But it's something that you want to please the Lord in everything that you do. If you live your life pleasing to the Lord, that is worship to God. If you're pleasing the Lord, then you're not of this world because you know that lying, covetousness, adultery, pride, these things don't please the Lord. So you're not going to want to do those things. You're going to want to please the Lord. And so that's not behavioral modification. That's submitting yourself before your God and living for him. 
and the world is going to do what the world's going to do. And there will be a separation. There will be because they're going to identify like, hey, that person doesn't act like, and then fill in the blank, whatever that looks like, like the rest of us. But if you partake in what they're doing, you're trying to identify with them and their culture, then there's not going to be any type of, any degrees of separation. And that doesn't please the Lord. Oh, well, God's grace will just cover it. No, that's not what that's about. You know, we already kind of covered that. You're just living in it. You're habitually in the sin. You're you're pitching your tent in Gomorrah, in Sodom. We need to come out of those wicked societies and cultures and that system, that world system. But instead, if we pursue the Lord each day, it's not just when you go to church. We are the church. I keep saying that, but the truth is, is that the people, the believers, that's the definition of the church. We think that the church is a building that was built, that we have utilities plumbed to and all that. You are the church. If you're born again, you are the church. The presence of God dwells in you. Seek the Lord every day. Interact with God every day. Please him every day. And then you will stand apart, be set apart from the rest of the world. They will know that Jesus Christ is your God. And it'll be known before all mankind. And that will be your testimony in the eyes of the world. And that is pleasing to the Lord. Right. And then in verse two, it says, by the renewing of your mind. And I really want to focus on that because what he's saying is by bringing yourself back around to the idea of who God is, where you are in the greater picture, how you serve him, and not just getting caught up in the culture around you and getting just brought down by it and held down by it. And just how easy is it to go to work every day, come home from work and watch TV, go to bed, go back to work, and just get caught up in the drama of whatever's going on around you and whoever's lives that he said, she said about everything to get caught up in TV shows, which my wife and I watch TV shows. We have shows that we love, but in the end, man, they serve nothing. They're just wasted hours, but they're a distraction. They're escapism, uh, which America lives on. Man, we live on escapism, don't we? I mean, the internet, video games, television, movies, and nowadays, like we've been talking about, we're moving into VR and AR, augmented reality, and we're just, anything to take us out of exactly where we are is, man, we just run toward it. Yet what he's saying is, renew your mind. Well, if you take away all those things that you just described that we right. escape into, if you strip all that away and then you're just left in a room, unplugged from technology, no TV, no internet, no phone, no nothing. How do you feel about that? That's where you begin to maybe want to pray. Maybe you want to seek the true living God, read his word, hold a book in your lap and read a Bible and understand and see who God is. Seek that God in prayer, not seek him through your phone. Seek God in prayer. That's the downfall of technology. You know, I mean, truly, if we, spend as much time with God as we do all these things that you just listed, what type of believers would we be then? And what you were saying about being in a quiet room, as soon as you're in a quiet room, isn't your first tendency to check my phone, maybe play a game on my phone, kick on some background noise, right? I don't know how many times I've been in here getting ready for this podcast and I have to have, I'll plug my phone into the system and be playing music. I'll put my headphones in and be playing 
Like I need music. I need something like the quiet room is just so deadening. And yet that's where you're called to meet God. You meet God in the quiet moments. And I'm not saying worship music's a distraction. If you want to listen to it in the background, ACDC might be, but yeah, yeah. But I mean, obviously what you choose is a big deal. If you're trying to listen to music and spend time with God, but it's amazing how the quiet room is so uncomfortable for us these days. Whereas people used to live their lives in quiet rooms. Now you feel so naked almost. There's no noise. There's no visual stimulation. There's no stimuli from any direction. Like what's going on in this? Let's get out of this room. Well, to bring it back full circle, that has become the new God of our society. Right. It's technology and all these things that have, like at the push of our fingers and God is still on his throne. He still exists. His structure for how he has given us his word and how he expects us to go to him in prayer and in worship. It still stands regardless of all the injection of technology into society, his precepts, his word, his instruction still stands and it's still true and nothing has changed. It's like, Oh, well God didn't know that we were going to have technology. He didn't factor that in. So this is the game changer. No, that's the devil trying to inject his game changer to try to derail people, humans, souls away from God. And so we need to know how to come out of that culture, come out of this world and be able to get into the presence of God, read his word and obey it and do what God has told us to do. Right. And so this is where I want to close this is I want to close this with the thought of if you're a whether you realize it or not, if you're a legalistic Christian, the grace of God goes beyond the things you're looking at. Probably God forgives other people for everything that they do. Just like he forgives you for those things that you consider is a minor thing that you're just kind of dealing with on the side. And then on the other side, if you're the kind of person who all things are permissible, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, I can do this and I can do this and I can, you know, do it with these people or do it with those people and nothing matters. It's all good. God still loves me. He's going to forgive me. So who cares, right? The Bible calls more out of you than that. The Bible calls you to a more personal relationship with Christ and in that being a represent representative of him and in representing him, what you do, where you do it and who you do it with comes into play, comes into effect and comes into question. So everything does matter and should be held up against the Bible and should be verified in your own life. But again, at the same time in legalism, you can't look at other people and judge them and cast judgment necessarily if they're really dealing with it. And so if you're casting judgment on somebody, go talk to them. I don't know how many times Philip's come to me and been like, dude, you know what? I think blah, and blah, and blah. And I've been like, you know what? Shut up, Philip. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. But, um, man, that's what brothers do. And, yeah, it's way easier with the brothers that are actually your friends. Way easier. I can name people that if they came to me and said stuff, I would just look at them like, who do you think you are? <laughs> but, man, you've just got to be open to that kind of stuff, and that just comes back to crucifying the flesh. That's right. Well, yay and amen to that. If you're going to go talk to somebody, look at Matthew 18. I would definitely want to follow that protocol. Maybe there's some things that you need to get right with the Lord and man, take that time, you know, and uh, we'll, we'll be praying for all those that are hearing this and taking it to heart. We are imperfect people serving a perfect God. We just scratched the surface 
of this topic. I mean, there's so much more to it, but these are things that just were really standing out to us of what could help you identify and to use God's word to delineate the line of separation that God calls us to. We are of his kingdom. And remember, you're an ambassador to Christ. And being an ambassador means that you're not a citizen of this world, but you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So we thank you for listening. We thank you for subscribing. We thank you for sharing with those that you think uh, might need to hear some of this. And please keep us in your prayers. Until next time, God bless.